Our topic today is not how to never disagree. Because in family communication, that is not going to happen until we're all translated into glory. No, the topic is how to communicate when we disagree. And I have four rules for a clean fight that will help ensure that no casualties occur. So let me begin by um, telling you a little bit about my background. I grew up near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the city of Three Rivers. And my grandparents on my mother's side were part of the American melting pot. They were part of the uh, Italian-American community that had come from the old world to the new world and became part of the labor force here in the U.S. I imagine many folks at Crossbridge are part of the American melting pot also. I remember thinking that my grandfather, who was a uh, foreman at Westinghouse, could fix anything. And I remember my grandmother, who was an outstanding cook, making homemade ravioli. Oh, man, was it good. That was her specialty. I also remember my grandparents fighting. I don't re uh, mean discussing. I don't mean, uh, you know, uh, debating. I mean out and out fighting. I mean storming in and out of the kitchen and gesturing and taking uh, shots at each other's uh, personality and characters. Uh, when it got really hot, they broke into Italian. I remember not being uh, particularly troubled by these things when I was a kid. Uh, my parents made light of it. They themselves seemed to make light of it. And not long after a big blow up, they were able to converse and laugh again and talk. It was just their mode of communication. I thought it was kind of exciting when it happened and almost funny. But, you know, now when I look back on it, I wonder if they were living out uh, Proverbs fourteen thirteen, even in laughter the heart may ache. So not all people yell when they fight, do they? Some fight cold wars of icy indifference. Whoever holds out the longest wins. Other people wage psychological warfare by cutting and taking shots at the other person. Now these methods of communicating when we disagree may be common, but they are not modeled after our Lord's example, and they don't follow the wisdom in the book of Proverbs on communication. And so we want to look at God's holy word, especially Ephesians 4 and 5, which gives a lot of good instruction on communication, and then Proverbs, which has a whole ton of instruction on the use of the tongue. Four simple rules for how to have a clean fight. These can help us develop edifying habits, kind habits of speech, and they can make sure that no casualties occur. I want you to know that I've been praying for you as I drove here today. I drove from uh, the North Shore to, to Lexington. I'm recording at the church. And I was praying for you, especially on this issue of 
how we communicate when we disagree. Because family communication is tough, right? There, disagreement is inevitable. And how we communicate says a lot about the condition of our hearts, the health of our families, uh, the model that we set for our children and others. And so I've been praying for myself and for Crossridge. Lord, help us to communicate well, even when we disagree. Heavenly Father, we come to you with that prayer. Please uh, set a guard over our mouths and work in our hearts, because out of the heart, the words issue. And so help us, Lord, as we look into your word on how to communicate when it's tough. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, rule number one for a clean fight. Dueling shall be done in private. Now, my wife Liz is better at this than I am, although I do think I've seen some progress in this over the years. But my tendency is when there's a disagreement, talk about it right then, even if it's in front of other people, even if it's in public. But a wiser approach is that this kind of dueling should be done in private. As Proverbs 25 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What does that mean? Well, it refers to the content of the communication. That would be like the apples of gold or the painting or, you know, the, the object of the work of art in a setting. We might think of the frame settings of silver. So it's talking about the context of communication, the time and the place. Uh, apples of gold in a setting of silver. Last week, I took a road trip with a couple of my buddies and we went to Gettysburg and we went to Washington, D.C. and we went to Valley Forge. And when we were in Washington, D.C., we went for just a couple hours to the National Gallery of Art. And we saw, you know, Rembrandt and there, there's one um, Leonardo, the only one in North America and all these paintings and the Impressionists. And I noticed the framing the settings, because they themselves are works of art, and the artists gave a lot of attention to the framing because, you know, it, it controls how you see the actual content. I saw rectangular frames and square frames and even circular frames, and I noticed that uh, the framing is important. And that's what the Bible teaches us. The particular rule I have in mind is that dueling, <laughs> disagreeing, uh, be careful about the setting, the time and the place. Specifically, I think it should be done in private. Fighting in public can exacerbate the problem. It can uh, uh, leave lasting wounds. It's embarrassing. It sets a bad example. And so dueling shall be done in private. Proverbs 15, 18, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked just pours out evil things. Blah, blah, blah. And another thing. 
Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Rash words uh, spoken out of uh, the heat of the moment. Dueling is best done with just the two of you. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So the Proverbs give us lots of wisdom like this, right? Um, the time and the place, the timing of our communication is important, as well, of course, as the content of the communication. I was looking at uh, Tim Keller's uh, devotional on the book of Proverbs, on that last verse, uh, Proverbs 17, 27. wanted to read you a short passage here. Uh, he, this, this daily devotional, this, this uh, entry is called Calm Words. He says, an even-tempered person is cool-spirited. A hot-spirited person is excitable, impatient, and insistent on having his say now. A cool-spirited person is calm and patient. Now, the wise person knows that what they have to say may be true and crucial, but they also know that God is in charge, and only he can open hearts. So it's with a reliance on God, an awareness of his sovereignty, an awareness of the, uh, the doings of each other's hearts that we sometimes restrain our words with a cool spirit. All right, so that's our first rule. Uh, dueling shall be done in private. Let me give you the second rule. Check all deadly weapons at the door. Deadly weapons. By that, I mean things that kill communication, things that just derail it. Just you know, That's the end of the communication. Just put them aside and learn some new ways. In specific, I have in mind some people blow up. That is a deadly weapon. It will end the communication or it will take the communication a different uh, direction. You will no longer be talking about the issue itself, but it'll be derailed into some other uh, venue. Some people have a tendency to blow up. And what does the scripture say to this person? Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. You know that already, and I know that. This is just a reminder. It's not God's way to erupt. You know, lava... <laughs> could be very destructive. It can also be very beneficial. Uh, they can harness it for geothermal energy. Uh, in Hawaii, it adds new terrain to the island, increases the size of the island. But when it blows up, just get out of the way. Nothing you can do to turn it aside. And so we want to check that deadly weapon. Just set it aside at the door, the weapon of blowing up. Ephesians 5.26, in your anger, do not sin. That deals with the form that the anger takes, the communication or the style uh, of the anger. And so 
blowing up is a deadly weapon. It should be set aside. Other people clam up. And this is deadly also. It just, it just derails the communication. You know, they're just tight-lipped. They don't enter into the conflict. And it's not a helpful way. Now, th there's a time and a place, as we saw, for restraint and, you know, uh, not airing all of our opinions. But um, I'm not talking about that kind of wise uh, silence. I'm talking about tight-lipped, uh, moody, sulky silence, withdrawing. That itself is a kind of communication, isn't it? It's a nonverbal communication. Somebody has said we cannot not communicate. And so clamming up is its own kind of message. What does that verse, uh, how does it continue? Ephesians 4.15, uh, in your anger do not sin, speak the truth in love. And here I'm emphasizing, speak, <laughs> speak, say what you need to say in a kind way, in a Christian way. Speak the truth in a loving manner. And Ephesians 5.26, um, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some people blow up, some people clam up, other people cut up. Sarcasm. The voice may remain, uh, it's not blowing up, it's calm and you're on this keel, but uh, like the thrusts of a sword, like the, the, the hack of a machete, some people cut up. I'm talking about sarcasm. I'm talking about um, uh, personal attacks. If you want to see that in action in the Bible, in one of the narrative portions, look at 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, verses four, 14 to 20. This is the story of David and his wife, uh, Michael. Uh, do you remember that story? They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, you know, with the, the presence of God, the dwelling place of God. They were bringing that into the holy city of Jerusalem. It had been gone for years. And David was so excited. And they were, there were musicians and they were offering sacrifices. And he himself was leading the uh, procession of worship. He was dancing before the Lord. And he apparently had taken off his robe and he he had on just his, his under tunic, and he was dancing, sort of like gymnastics, you know, he was dancing and he was free. And the Bible says his wife looked through the window and saw all this going on, and she thought it was very undignified. Maybe it was undignified for a, a king to be doing that. And the Bible says she despised him in her heart. That's what's in the heart. And how does it come out? Their communication died that day when she said, how the king of Israel has, has exalted himself and honored himself today in the eyes of his people. She was cutting up. She was criticizing in a backhanded way. And their relationship, if we read sort of between the lines in that story, their relationship ended on that day. They were still married legally in name, Bitta. That was the, it, it was a deadly weapon that derailed their relationship and certainly their communication. 
Some of you perhaps were uh, debaters in high school or in college, or maybe you studied uh, a persuasion and propaganda techniques. One of the old techniques, uh, propaganda techniques, was called the ad hominem. Ad, ad hominem to or against the man, against the person. It's it, it was it's an old technique where you're talking about you know uh, uh, the price of uh, gasoline or uh, pay raises or taxes or you know social issues, and you instead make an attack on the person herself or himself. And it's it's not dealing with the problem. It gets the communication off track onto a personal attack. For example, the husband wants to go see uh, Hamilton, the music Hamilton, great cultural phenomenon, but it's really expensive. And from the wife's perspective, they just can't afford it. And so instead of dealing with that issue, because it's a real issue, there's a disagreement, they have to come to some kind of, you know, understanding. Instead, she attacks the person she says, you only care about pleasing yourself. And he says, oh, yeah, well, you're cheap. And she says, well, you're stupid. And she says, uh, well, you're just you're just like uh, he says, you're just like your mother. And she says, yeah, well, that's better than being like your father. And he goes bah, 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 back and forth. Like a volleying battle at the net of tennis. Boom, 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 back and forth. And meanwhile, the problem itself, you know, shall we spend the money to go see this expensive music? The, 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 the issue itself is still dangling out there, not being dealt with. Check this deadly weapon cutting up. Uh, check it at the door. Leave it aside. Ask God for his power, his grace, uh, the presence of Holy Spirit reminding us when we slip into these things. Ask him for his help in setting aside such deadly weapons. Number three, rule number three for a clean fight, double agents shall be shot on sight. What do I mean by double agent? I mean a mixed message. It's a, perhaps some, somewhat a link to that last point about clamming up. The words say one thing, but the nonverbal, the, the, the looks, the tone of voice, the timing, apples of gold and settings of silver, the, 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 the nonverbal um, gives a different message. And which one overrides the other one? Well, we tend to believe the nonverbal, don't we? You know, uh, uh, the, the mother says to the daughter, is anything wrong? And the daughter says, no. Well, the word is no, but the meaning is not no because of the, the face and the voice and the eye contact. Double agents shall be shot on sight, not helpful communication. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Here's a classic study of communication that was done back in the 60s. When a verbal message conflicts with a nonverbal, how do we decide what the speaker means? Like, where do we derive the meaning of the utterance? Well, here's what uh, this fellow, uh, Morabian, discovered. We look at the face. We use the face to decode the words, and that gives us the real intention, the real heart behind the words. And 
We listen to the voice, right? No, no, right? We listen to the voice, and that helps us figure out what the words actually mean. Then, uh, Morabian says, where we also pay attention to the words, but it's a minor uh, component. When the nonverbal is conflicting, we depend on the nonverbal to tell what the person means. And I'm saying it's better communication to have congruence with the nonverbal and the verbal, both communicating a single message. So, Proverbs 26, 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. That sounds like a double agent to me. Someone who is dealing death and maybe intending to do so, but who says, ah, no, 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 I'm just, I didn't mean it, or can't you take a joke, or the words uh, stick despite that kind of protesting. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it in the Screwtape Letters. Here's Screwtape's advice on double agents. Screwtape loves double agents. All right. Here he says, In civilized life, hatred usually expresses itself by saying little things that would, would appear quite harmless on paper. You know, the words are not offensive. But in such a voice, or at such a time, that they are not far short of a blow in the face. You must see to it, uh, Screwtape says to the, his under, uh, the undersecretary, the tempter, you must see to it that each of these two fools has a sort of double standard. Your patient must demand that all his own utterances are to be taken at their face value and judge simply on the actual words while at the same time judging all his mother's words with the fullest and most oversensitive interpretation of the tone and the context and the suspected intention, she must be encouraged to do the same. Hence, from every quarrel, they can both go away convinced, or very nearly convinced, that they are quite innocent. You know the kind of thing. I simply ask her what time dinner will be, and she flies into a temper. Once this habit is well established, you have the delightful situation of a human saying things with the express purpose of offending, and yet having a grievance when offense is taken. That's a double agent. And set it aside, shoot it on sight. I have one more. Rule number four. When either side calls a halt, cease fire. Sign the armistice and forgive. And our key verse here is from Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ has forgiven us, that is the theological grounding for family communication. It's the soil that we put down our roots and we draw our sustenance from this truth. You've been forgiven. 
probably for stuff a lot worse than whatever your little petty argument is about. We have been forgiven, and therefore, we pass on that grace in humility. We forgive others, remembering God's own grace to us. This doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean that we do not need to grow and uh, progress, progressive sanctification. But it means that the basic stance of the soil that we're planted in is a theological remembering of God's grace, his forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And that'll go a long way toward helping our communication, helping us forgive one another, and communicating out of that heart. It's not easy. It's not easy. I think the family may be the, the, the crucible which really tests our spirituality and perhaps reveals our spirituality. Uh, somebody has said that our own spiritual life doesn't rise any higher than our family life. And so maybe these four rules, um, dueling shall be done in private, check all deadly weapons at the door, <laughs> shoot the double agents, and if anyone calls a ceasefire, lay down your weapon, sign the armistice, and forgive. Maybe these four rules can help us bless each other and make our families a place of joy and security and a haven rather than a battleground. May the Lord help you as you mull over each of these wise rules from Proverbs and Ephesians. May the Lord help you and help me to honor him with our words. In Jesus' name, amen. And now this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you and set a guard over your tongues, and may he help us remember that we have been forgiven in Christ, and so we forgive one another in Christ. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.